Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Russell Cost, Chief Security Officer of Alexion Pharmaceuticals. Russ is also co-chair of the Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council Task Group that recently issued a new guide, the Health Industry Cybersecurity Protection of Innovation Capital document, for how healthcare sector organizations can protect trade secrets, medical research, and other innovation capital from cyber theft. So Russ, for starters, we've been seeing alerts recently from government authorities in the U.S. and the U.K. and elsewhere warning of cyber attacks on medical and other facilities involved with COVID-19 research. Why did the HSCC decide now to issue this guidance? And why is it so important for those institutions to act swiftly in protecting their innovation capital and other intellectual property from these threats? Well, I would say that, first of all, the timing was very fortuitous. We've been working on this for the better part of, we're coming on two years now since the group was formed. And as you can see by the thoroughness of the report, it was quite an undertaking across a number of organizations, both public and private institutions across the healthcare sector. So this isn't something that just came together recently as a result of of COVID. The importance, however, is it's up there. And we certainly received a letter, we, Alexion, from the FBI, as did a lot of other organizations in the healthcare sector who are working on COVID research. And that is because of the value of this innovation capital that we're working on, especially with this new risk of COVID. And organizations and nations know that they could quickly accelerate the research delivery production and they can short circuit the timeline and get things to their citizens by going right to the source of that research, which are companies like ours to the sector as a whole. So, Russ, what sorts of cyber threats should these researcher organizations like your own be guarding their IC and IP against right now? So, I'll start with the paper. The paper that we just published assumes there's some level of access to the information and, quote unquote, you're already inside. So, the focus of this is not about preventing breaches and the holistic, what it takes to prevent an adversary, for example, like a nation coming and trying to get after your data. But regardless of whether it's a nation or an insider, an employee who sometimes makes silly mistakes, careless mistakes, and releases this innovation capital out to the world, or it's someone coming in and stealing it, could be an employee, it could be someone else, the risks are, first, knowing what is the most important information that you want to protect? Where is that information? Who has access to it? And once you have those answers, you can put technical controls in place. So it's, on one hand, a governance soft controls, and then there's the hard controls, the more technical controls to put to go after that. And each company is different. Each company, you get super sophisticated, very large organizations, Then you have very small organizations with innovation capital and protecting that information is just as vital to those companies. But how you do that could be dramatically different. The nice thing about our paper is we look at all of those angles. 
So, Russ, what sorts of innovation capital and intellectual property related to COVID-19 right now is most at risk and why? Going back to why you have nations coming after this innovation capital, they want to shorten the time frame that it takes to come up with new ideas or ways to produce and then ultimately get the therapies to their citizens. So if you're a pharmaceutical company, a biotech company like Alexion, the innovation capital is literally not only just at the molecular level of what the research looks like, it's also how does the data look as we go through the trials. So you have to protect your research that is typically done organically within your organization, within the R&D component of your company. But then you also need to protect the clinical trials that are managed by third parties or CROs. It's very important for organizations trying to take this innovation capital to know where to place their bets. And if they could have early access to what's working and what's not working, they're all in. And so to us, an area where we're applying great focus are those third-party CROs because, frankly, you have a handful of them that support the biotech and pharma space writ large. And so they become very big targets in all of this because I can go after one CRO and gain access to a lot of different companies' data as to what's working and what's not working. Frankly, they're getting access to that data before a company like Alexion even knows what's working and what's not working. So, Russ, with that said, what are some of the critical best practices for protecting this innovation capital as outlined in the new guidance document, but also based on the fact that, yes, you are reliant on other companies that are collecting data that you will be using? How do you enforce good security on those companies? So think of it as the soft controls versus the more direct technical controls. And they're both, in my point of view, just as important. And each company will need to assess where they are in their own maturity to be able to do both well. So the governance and softer controls are all about understanding what's important, where that data is, who should have access to it, and then what happens in the event that we lose control of it. Are there contractual obligations? Is there recourse? Do you have appropriate identification measures built into your contract? So if a CRO has a problem that they've identified, they tell you within a 24-hour period, for example. So those are the soft pieces that sound easy, but they're actually pretty hard when you think about how distributed organizations are these days. Even the simple question of, what data is important is hard because a security organization is at least one or two levels removed from that answer. And that answer isn't a static answer either. So it changes over time. The next piece on the technical, because I I don't want to sidestep the technical piece because it is very important. I would say in this day and age, if you're an organization that is working directly on COVID research. You should have technical controls that actively block the removal of innovation capital from your organization. It's no longer enough 
to be able to identify that information moving around and when it leaves. When it leaves and knowing that it's left is too late. And that, again, sounds simple, but a lot of organizations, large and small, have resisted putting those technical controls in place because of business disruption. Hey, we need to collaborate and we could have some false positives and you, the security organization, are slowing down the transfer of information to do critical business. And so that's going to take a mature security organization to work that through with the business leaders to have that out. So you have traditional data loss prevention technologies that work on email and your PCs, Macs and PCs included. You have controls on your mobile devices, but increasingly having controls off of external file shares that are in the cloud, like a box or a Dropbox, is very important because that's where a lot of collaboration is done. So, Russ, you mentioned the importance of blocking the data from leaving, I guess, blocking any sort of exfiltration or you know data going into the wrong hands. What other security controls are so critical right now with this? What about various identity controls, access controls, having defenses against the wrong people even getting into these systems? What's most important right now from that perspective? That goes back to knowing where your sensitive data is. And you're now talking about when those, those examples Those are application-level controls for the most part, which are very important, especially on your key applications. So whether it is an application provisioning system, which helps you tie to your HR system, and even better, tie to your systems that manage or systems that manage contractors to ensure that as you have all this movement of people in the organization who's employed, who's a contractor, who's left, people only have access to the applications and the data within those applications that they should have it. But again, there's a governance side, a soft side to that as well, as who is it that's going to be managing that access. I'm actually a big advocate that managers provide some level of control over that, but much better than having managers approve what their employees are doing, have the data owners at the more granular level within that application be doing the proving of the access. You know, I came from a world where people had clearances and it wasn't your manager who who decided what access you had within various clearance levels. You gained access by the data custodian to various parts of, of programs. So I'm a big advocate for granular level provisioning within applications by the the data custodians. The other piece is helping to mitigate against movement from insiders. So the people, whether you're an employee within R&D or you're an IT administrator, having key controls that limit who has privileged access we call it privileged access management or PAM, that is critically important because both good guys, employees, and bad guys, non-employees like a nation state, they love to grab when they're doing malicious things that privileged access because you can move around really easily without setting off alarms. And Russ, right now as 
the COVID-19 crisis has resulted in lockdowns and you have so many people working remotely. How much of a monkey wrench has that been in terms of employees, not only of maybe your organization or an organization working on research, but also their contractors having employees now working from home? Well, you've seen one major provider, I'm not going to name names, but whose specialization is IT outsourcing right around the same time as the whole world moved to working remote, they announced that they had a major penetration for quite some time. And it was the thought is not only was the enterprise network of this IT provider compromised, but those who used them to do IT administration at the infrastructure level and application levels to varying degrees were exposed themselves. And that's very much a concern that I have. We weren't impacted by that provider, but that provider is one of roughly a dozen providers within India, for example, where you have a workforce that is very much trained to be working together in person on a facility who now finds themselves working from home under varying conditions and frankly are just more vulnerable because when you are at home, it's it's hard to argue that your work life and your home life isn't merged, even technically more so than it is when you're working in the office. In fact, most of these IT outsourcing providers, when you go into the office, it more looks like your customer's environment than it does you know, the, the provider's own environment. And the longer this goes, the more I worry about my third-party access into our applications and into our infrastructure. And that goes back to privileged access management and identity and access management into the core network. So Russ, that brings me to my final question. As a CISO these days, right now at a pharmaceutical company that is involved with COVID-19 development, what is keeping you up at night? I actually sleep pretty well. Uh, What keeps me up at night isn't what I'm seeing at Alexion thankfully, but I see a lot of organizations who haven't aggressively moved to the cloud who are now under these conditions trying to force moves to make things more efficient like various applications to the, to the cloud. And anytime you do things that are forced, you open yourself up to more risk. So I try to be very deliberate in anything that we do around security or major core applications, especially applications that host innovation capital and are core to our bottom line. So what keeps me up is that forced, rushed movement because of these conditions. Thanks, Russ. I've been speaking to Russ Cost. I'm Marianne Kolbesuk-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.